0: sports are such a big part of all of our lives from the big plays to the unforgettable games they continue to inspire us in unimaginable ways but what happens to the athletes the warriors and heroes of our time when the game is finally over and the sport they love and work their entire lives pursuing greatness at continues on without them how do they cope with the transition how do they find purpose reclaim their identity work towards a vision of the future. As a former professional athlete playing in the NFL for eight seasons, I know the unique challenges that these athletes face. On this podcast, these athletes will share their stories and how they navigate life beyond the game. All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Life Beyond the Game, where I talk to a lot of former athletes about their transition, some wisdom, lessons on how to reach your highest potential and handle the transition from pro sports. This episode, our guest, his name, honestly, I don't know how to pronounce his name. He says it early in the podcast, but for short, it's Femi. And uh, he played, I think, 11 or 12 years in the NFL. And this is one of the most impressive dudes I've ever met. Uh, he's doing really big things in the world. He's a uh, health technology entrepreneur. Um, just launching... Uh, he's been working on it for a while, but launching this incredible uh, technology that is uh, really available to anybody. Uh, it's called Health Real. And it is really going to help shift a lot of people's um, you know journeys when it comes to health. We talk a lot about in this po- podcast about... Femi's own personal journey um, through his football career, through his transition and what he's doing now with Health Real and his passion about really helping support and be of service to the collective, really shifting this uh, real, the real, you know, epidemic is not COVID, not, you know, uh, a virus, but the uh, mental health and obesity, heart disease cancer. All of these things are really directly related to our holistic health as human beings. Um, And he's really showing up trying to solve the real issues that we're facing as a humanity. Uh, He drops a lot of wisdom in this podcast. Uh, Definitely get your notebook out as you listen. Um, There's definitely a lot to learn. I'm going to definitely go back and listen to it again, because this man is truly one of the most impressive human beings I've ever met. And I'm really grateful that he took the time to drop in with us to share his wisdom. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I did. Before we start, as you know, I'm really passionate about you know being of service to the former athlete community. That's why I started this podcast and launched the community called The Heart Collective. If you are a former male professional athlete looking for community, uh, not just support, but really uh, a brotherhood of guys who are focused on reaching high levels of awareness, which we talk about in this podcast, how to do that. Uh, and I think one of the missing pieces really is this community of like-minded guys who are focused on reaching their highest potential, not just physically, mentally, emotionally, but also spiritually. Uh, We got a lot of amazing content available and uh, a lot of opportunity to connect with Brotherhood. Um, We have an app uh, you can drop in uh, we have drop in weekly calls. We have master classes with a lot of wide, a wide variety of thought leaders, experts, and coaches in a wide variety of different fields, bringing expert opinions and knowledge and wisdom um, in a lot of different areas to help you on your journey. If it's something that interests you, go to theheartcollective.com, check it out. Uh, you can apply there. If you're interested in joining the community or you can reach out to me directly. Uh, and if you're not an athlete, a former athlete, and you're still interested in following along and being a part of the wider community, we're actually hosting uh, a wide variety of master classes. We got about two a month over uh, the next few months. Uh, and that's gonna continue to develop and uh, really excited about the guests that we have coming on. Uh, they're gonna impart a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge, and that is available to anybody that is interested. You can go to theheartcollector.com, click on that non-athlete button, put your email in, stay up to date with all of the amazing things and experiences that we are cultivating and curating for all of you so that we can all continue on this journey together. Uh, It's going to take all of us. We're all students. We're all teachers. We're all here to learn from one another and grow with each other so that we can really make this world a better place for ourselves, for our families, for the future, for everyone involved. Really passionate about it. Go check it out. Theheartcollector.com. Also want to shout out my wife, Sarah's company, growmotely.com. There's a link in the show notes if you are interested. It is a fully remote job platform, global talent available at your fingertips. The whole process of recruitment and finding remote talent is done so easily right there for you. All automated on this tech platform. I'm really proud of her. She's doing amazingly big things. One of the most amazing women I've ever met. And I'm so grateful to call her my wife. Um, So if you're a small, medium-sized business, I mean, even a big business, I guess, if you're someone that's trying to build a team and looking for remote talent, go check it out. If you're somebody who is looking for work, maybe you're unhappy at your job, maybe you have to still go into the office. I don't know what that's all about. If you're looking for something where you can create freedom for yourself and be aligned with a company that you're really passionate about, helping create their vision and making the world a better place, go check out growmotely.com and you can find your dream job. It's a world of possibility, a world of opportunity. World of Talent, I think that's their tagline. Go check it out. And one other thing, I would also like to shout out my my other podcast. If you haven't checked it out, Quantum Coffee. I'm having so much fun having these conversations with amazing people, just talking about the unanswerable questions of the universe. If something, if you're curious about the universe, um, quantum physics, spirituality, God death, all of these amazing topics that a lot of people don't really like to talk about, but it's one of my favorite things to do. I bring on guests to get their perspectives and we really dive deep. So if you're curious in understanding a little bit about psychedelics, plant medicines, all these other topics, go check out quantum coffee. And I also have a premium membership for premium content at $7 a month. If you're interested in supporting that podcast in that way, go check it out. Uh, it really helps and goes a long way in helping uh, me grow the podcast uh, and helps, you know, take care of the team that is helping me produce all of this amazing content for all of you really appreciate everybody for all the support, all the love um, and for listening to this podcast and to quantum coffee and to, to just consuming all the content I'm putting. I hope it has a, a powerful impact on your life. It's definitely something that it lights me up. Um, one other way you can support this podcast is if you enjoy it, even if you don't enjoy it, <laughs> then I don't know why you're listening to it, but if you could leave a five-star review say some nice words about the podcast, about the guests, about how it had an impact on your life. That goes a long way. It's really quick. It literally takes two seconds. If you could just do that right now before you start the podcast, that would be hugely appreciated. And if there's anything in this podcast that resonates with you or you think it might have a positive impact on somebody you know and love, go ahead and share it with them and then ask them to leave a five-star review. I don't ask you all for much. Do this one thing for me and go listen to Quantum Coffee as well. I love you all. Enjoy the podcast. Femi, what's up, brother?
1: Hey, how's it going, dude?
0: I'm good, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Really excited to dive in, share your story a little bit and what you're working on now. Really excited about the journey you've been on and, and sharing your wisdom. First, I got to know, because I was, I was doing a little search. How do you say your full name?
1: Oba Femi Ayanba Dejo.
0: Wow. It's beautiful. Femi.
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Femi's easier uh, where, where is that
0: where is that from what's the, the... My, uh,
1: my father's nigerian and, and actually actually my whole name is oba femi devin Ayan badejo senior Because i have a junior uh-huh. and my mom is irish hence the uh hence the devin that's the irish part and then obviously my first and last name are nigerian my dad uh, is uh is from lagos
0: mm. and yep. when did they come into the states
1: my dad came to the u.s to go to school uh, at Chicago State University met my mom. They're both doing their master's degrees and they had some classes together. And I guess, as you say, you know, as they say, the, the rest is history. You know, uh, my brother and I were both born in, in Chicago and then we moved to Nigeria for a couple of years. Um, you got to remember, dude, like Nigeria in the seventies, kind of a their world country in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know? And so um, I think my mom you know, self-reported would say she probably bit off a little more than she could chew. You know, going out there, but I commend her for the effort because there's not a lot of people that would leave the comforts of the U.S. to go to Africa. You know, normally mm-hmm. you hear about being the only black face in a crowd of white folks, right? But she mm-hmm. did it the other way around. She was the only white face in a in a crowd of black folks. Mm-hmm. So she learned a lot, man. Uh, she's very humble. Um, she she really does understand. Um, the, the difficulties of, of, of immigration and opportunity in America, because obviously she married a Nigerian guy, but then she went to a a country that she was the minority in. So she got to live that experience for a couple of years. You know, a lot of people, especially Americans, you know, and I, and I don't mean to say this in a, in a hyperbolic way, but you know, we can be quite arrogant when we travel, we can be quite arrogant in the way that we carry ourselves and impose our culture. On other people, you know, yeah,
0: we think our wow. way is the right way, right? I yeah, think exactly. That's exactly. missing in our culture is, is people don't travel enough. Like, exactly. the first time I traveled and left the country, like, opens yeah. your eyes and perspective in such a huge way,
1: definitely. And and, and by the way, you know, we live in the greatest country in the world, I believe that 100%. But we have our flaws and we we have our imperfections, and uh, every, every place does, you know. I think that when you when you live in a melting pot like the U.S. that is truly a heterogeneous mixture of people, you know, different religions and races and cultures, um, you know, the highs can be really high, but the lows can be really low. You know, yeah. that's just the reality of it. And it's kind of a, 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 on us as human beings to, to be mindful and to be empathetic and to remember there's not one right way to do things. There's a whole lot of dumb ways to do things for sure, though. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So We seem to be mindful uh, about you know, how we impose our will and our thoughts on, on other people. Um, and my mom, you know, really kind of, uh, you know, taught me a lot about one being self-aware, but also being selfless, right. Really understanding that, that, uh, you know, people deserve to be heard and listened to. Um, and, uh, as long as we understand that our choices, um, don't necessarily have to have a deleterious or negative effect on other people. It's just a different choice. Now we know there are choices that can have a negative effect on people. I'm not talking about those that's different, right? Mm -hmm. But just having the choice and the ability to kind of live your life the way that you want to, um, in a good way, um, you know, and keeping like good intent in mind, I think is something I've learned about, you know, being mixed race and living in different countries, living in Europe, playing in NFL Europe, right. Living in London, you know, traveling all over Europe, being in Mexico, being in different places, um, I always love to learn a little something, and and I feel like uh, uh, a lot of those lessons um, they stick with me. You mm,
0: know what I mean? No doubt, yeah, and that's why I'm so grateful for for athletics and sports and, and be, having the opportunity to play in the NFL. I mean, yeah. I, I, as re- I reflect on my career and I think about because when you're in it, you're kind of just going through grinding, trying to be as successful as you can. And just as I've reflected on my career and all the powerful lessons that it's taught me, one of the main things is you know being on a team with people from so many different backgrounds, upbringing, some people that I, you know, if I saw on the street, like I'd probably never be friends with. And then when you're out there going to battle together and, and working hard and all of the stories and identities of who we are and where we came from all wash away. And it's just this brotherhood of like giving everything you can for the man next to you. And that's, it's taught me such a powerful lesson about, about community, about brotherhood, about seeing past these stories that we have as identities of ourselves and then identities of others and be able to wash away and really see the humanity in each person. I think that's a huge reason why sports are such a huge part of our culture, especially here. And I'd love to kind of you know, talk about your sports career, maybe briefly talk about, um, I'd love to hear like how you got into football and then you know briefly about your career and some of the lessons that you learned while playing.
1: Yeah. So I was a, I was a three sport athlete in high school, football, baseball, basketball, and football was probably my least favorite of the three, to be honest. Um, really, I was really probably my best sport was probably baseball. Um, and you know, I, I was actually a really young, uh, senior in high school. I was 16, my senior year in high school playing varsity football. You know, there were kids that were sophomores that were older than me, you know, kids that I'd skipped the a grade, they'd flunked the a grade and we ended up in the same class. Right. But, um, I think that. I, I love competing, but, um, I also, there's something about a schedule and a plan and like knowing how my day is supposed to go and where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do. There's something about that that I've always enjoyed. You know, um, people always say, Oh, you know, you, you know, football made you disciplined or sports made you disciplined. I'm like, no, 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 no. I was already disciplined. Being mm. disciplined has allowed me to excel. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I ended up going to, um, I went to Santa Cruz High School in Northern California. I went to Cabrillo Junior College in Santa Cruz County after taking a year off, got a job for a year, worked in a retirement home in the kitchen, rode the bus to work 6.30 a.m., worked from 6.30 to 2.30, walked to World Gym, worked out for an hour, rode the bus home. I did that for like a year, dude. Gained 20 pounds, played football and baseball at Cabrillo. End up having a really good career in both there. And I ended up getting a football scholarship at San Diego state.
0: Yeah. Where did that work ethic come from? I mean, it seems like a very young age you had the discipline showing it's
1: just, up. It's just always been there, man. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't, I can't even explain it. I don't remember not making my bed. I don't remember not like, you know, being that kid who cleaned clean the table and put the dishes away. And like, not, I leave nothing out. I leave nothing to chance, you know, mm-hmm. obviously I understand I can't control everything, but it's not going to be, if something goes sideways, it's not going to be because I'm not prepared.
0: Mm. Yeah. Control your controllables. Right. That's one of the first lessons I learned in football.
1: Definitely. And I think, um, another, another big part about football that I think is really huge, you know, and, and not to, uh, you know, breeze over my, my NFL career by any means, but the, the, I was undrafted when I left uh, San Diego state, Uh, the Vikings were the only team that offered me a contract. I had a really, really good pro day. I was actually playing baseball at San Diego state. And my, my coach is like, dude, you got a ball. These NFL coaches asking about number nine with the visor. I wore number nine and I had a visor. (laughs) So they're like, they're like, you, you need to come out and do this, this pro day, you know, like baseball's not going anywhere. You haven't played baseball in a year and a half. So, you know, like I'm sure that, you know, you're probably not having the most fun right now, trying to find your swing and your stroke and all these everything. I'm like, you're right. I'm not, it's, it's been difficult. You know, taking a year off of baseball is like an eternity when you're, you know, when you're 21. Right. So totally. I I ended up going to my pro day, you know, had a really good pro day, you know, ran like a four, five, eight, you know, hit two twenty five. I don't know, 26 times or something, you know, day on the field, caught every ball, ran every route did some stuff out of the backfield, did some stuff from the slot, did some tight end routes. I did a little bit of everything because I can kind of, like my size, 6'2", There, I can kind of do all that stuff, backfield, slot, tight end, you know, kind of a an athlete, right? Just mm. like a like what an H-back would be now in the league is kind of what I already was, kind of a, probably a little before my time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, ended up getting signed by the Vikings. They offered me $1,000 and I was like, just tell me where to be. I'm there. You know what I mean? $1,000 signing bonus. That was it. Let's that, was, go. that was good money for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Took my little signing bonus, man, went out to Minnesota and, and just got to work, you know, ended up, uh, you know, working, my, got cut, um, ended up sitting out my whole rookie year. They signed me to a futures deal the following December, allocated me to NFL Europe while that still existed, which was amazing. I had to play and live in London, which was outstanding. Um, came back, which would have been my second year technically. And I had confidence, you know, I just understood the NFL game a lot better. And I made the practice squad that year, eventually ended up getting activated. I was on that 1998 Minnesota Vikings team that went 15 and one pretty historical team, um, in regard to the record books, but Randy Moss was a rookie that year. Uh, got to play with Chris Carter, Jake Reed, you know, Robert Smith, Leroy Hoard, John Randall was a hall of famer. Now, you know, just a who's who of, of, of amazing players and talent. And I I learned in that cauldron, like that was a that's a, that's a rough place for a young guy. I can tell you that like mm-hmm. they, they're not playing, you know, I learned, no. I learned the hard way. And this is in, in, in the mid late nineties is when teams were transitioning from those rosters of 30 guys that were like 30, 31 to like much younger rosters. So I was still playing. I, I came into the league while those rosters had a lot of, you know, guys that were 30, 31, not so much. Now they don't do that as much now because you know, they want to be able to save some salary cap space by, you know, having a bunch of young guys. And then you're kind of high, pri- higher price veterans. Right. The business model is the business model, but it was evolving in the mid, mid, mid late nineties. And so, you know, I ended up playing 11 years, you know, um, ended up with the Ravens for three years. Um, to this day, I'm a Raven all day, every day, I play like a Raven. That's the culture. That's the, that's the, that's the, the, where I became me was as a Raven. You know what I mean? Like that's where I really came into my own, became a starter, you know, was special teams captain, you know, really came into my own as a, as professional athlete, um, won a Super bowl in 2000. Um, ended up with the Dolphins and then um, Arizona and finished with the Bears, retired in, in, in 2010. But um, I think that one of the most important lessons, just the simplest basic lesson that we can all uh, have some control over is, is the quality of our communication with people. You know, as a, as a football player, we always say, hey, hey, don't keep secrets, right? Like if something's happening, you know, tell me, you know what I mean? Like, let me know. Like th- don't keep your mouth shut. So, you know, if you see a, a backer on the line of scrimmage, call him out. If you, you know if, if we're gonna switch responsibilities, you gotta tell me. If the quarterback audibles and I you don't know if I heard it, make sure you echo it, right? Don't keep secrets, right? Like, you know, be be outspoken about what's happening. That's one of the most important lessons I learned as a professional athlete. Not just about being on time and being accountable, but like speaking out loud and and, and telling your teammates. And in the real world, that means returning phone calls. That means answering emails. That means, uh, you know, uh, really taking the time, no matter how big or small somebody is, you don't know what someone's going to become or who they're going to be or where they're going to end up. You know, it is a network and the NFL is, is a network and a brotherhood. And guess what? I, I'm in I'm in technology now. I work in the tech space. It's it's also quite a bit of a, a brother sisterhood. You know, it, it's people that you meet along the way that could have some huge potential effect on, you know, your success one way or another. And the best way to do that is to make sure you communicate with people and, and let them know that regardless of where they are today, that you, you value them as a person and you're going you're to respond. You're going to be on time. You're going to reach out to them. You're going to not just kick them aside, push them aside because maybe their status is it, it, it doesn't excite you or something like that. I think it's really important to just communicate with people, be honest with them, and uh, show them the, the respect they showed you by how they reached out to you and how they value you. Just try and keep that mutual. I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge lesson to bring into the real world. Like treat everybody with respect, right? You don't know who someone is and how they're going to affect your life and how much they can exactly. support you. And, you know, people that act like they're better than someone or they know something, you know, like for me, I try to approach every single person I meet Like they have something to teach me because they do, because everybody has their own unique, profoundly unique life experience. And so they have lessons that I haven't learned. And if I'm open to, you know, communicating with them and learning from them and teaching them as well, we're all students and all teachers. And that's a a beautiful lesson. So you're you're a journeyman, right? You played for what was five teams, six teams, teams? five Five teams. teams. Yep. Um, so what was that journey like playing with so many different teams? Um, I'm sure there's an aspect of it, like being really grateful to have that kind of experience. But obviously I think every player kind of wants to be the guy and have their 10 year career at one team and be like, I mean, I think fullback position is a little bit different. Um, but what were some of the biggest lessons and, and challenges while you were playing the game that maybe a fan or somebody on the outside, just looking in, can't really understand like the, the day-to-day challenges that an NFL player faces, you know, they see someone on TV making a lot of money, like, Oh, it can't be that hard. Right. But what is the thing that really like was hard for you and challenged you to step up and grow to play so long in the NFL?
1: Yeah. I and mean, I think that it, it really does revolve around kind of like your job doesn't stop, you know, uh, Uh, when, when the last whistle's blown, I mean, that's, that's really the easy part. You know what I mean? It's not the 16 games and four preseason games that you play. It's those 240 days that you're out there on your own. Nobody's watching you. No one knows what you're doing. Are you prepared or are you not prepared? Are you taking care of your body? Are you eating right? Are you, you know, how's your sleep hygiene? You know, how, how's your supplementation going? You know, are you, are you building yourself up the way that you're supposed to? Are you preparing yourself? for what's going to keep you relevant. And, you know, as a vital component, because at the end of the day, you know, guys are your teammates, but you're also competing with them. Mm. You know what I mean? And there's an honor in that competition and there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do it. The right way to do it is to always be prepared. And once again, to not keep secrets, right? Cause some, young, some older dude taught me and regardless of if some younger dude's trying to take my job, it's still my responsibility to, 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 to groom that kid, to make sure that, he's the best he can be. Cause I know how football works. People lose their jobs. Coaches change. You know, some coaches don't like a particular player or they think that that player is undermining them. Cause he was, he liked that coach or there's a lot, there's a myriad of reasons why players end up somewhere else. Injury, right. Um, free agency. So I've been, I, I've been the, on the, I've been on the, on the, on the good side of those things. And I've been on the bad side of those things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
0: Same. And so, yeah.
1: yeah so I, I think for me, Um, the hardest part is always unexpectedly starting a season somewhere and then ending up somewhere else. You know what I mean? Perfect example. Um, I was playing in Minnesota, um, in 1999 and, uh, my first year, like I made the team right out of camp. I was, you know, basically playing like tailback, kind of what I always do. A little bit of tailback, a little bit of fullback a lot of special teams, little packages they would have for me. And we had six running backs on that particular team and I was the youngest. So the Vikings cut me. The cool thing was, is that the Ravens had just hired Brian Billick, who was the coordinator in Minnesota as the head coach in Baltimore. I didn't know that that was what was really going to like, you know, probably extend my NFL career way beyond than what I thought it was. But in the moment I was just bummed that I got cut. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I literally was playing against the Atlanta Falcons in a Vikings uniform. And then I was back in Atlanta three weeks later in a Ravens uniform with a different jersey number on, you know what I'm saying? Oh, like that's,
0: yeah. that's the that's NFL. That best, I try yeah. to
1: get. And lucky, luckily for me, I had my kids a little bit later, like more toward the end of my career. Like when I had a lot more control and security and things like that, but to like leave everything you have in one city, get on a plane, go to another city, stay in a hotel for a couple of weeks. You have no idea where anything is. You don't know anybody other than a couple of your teammates and some coaches, but you're literally just dropped in a city. And the only place you're probably comfortable is in the facility that you've never been in before. The cool thing was, is that I knew the offense already, right? And I knew that they picked me. They wanted me there. Mm -hmm. There was something good about that. But the rest of it, bro, chaos. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I, I had, that was probably the only time where mid season, I ended up on a different team. I chose the Dolphins. I chose Arizona. You know what I mean? So I had an off season to get ready for, the, for those teams and I had a chance to prepare and get myself settled in. But I think that the things that, you know, people think it's all glamour when you're a professional athlete. You know, they don't realize that really the glamour is only that that time on Sunday on the field when you see us playing. Right. Yeah. And it might not feel that glamorous to us because we're, we're working like we're, you know, I don't hear a crowd. I don't hear the crowd. But if I make a play, maybe for a moment, I hear the crowd. Yeah. But when I'm playing. I'm just trying to let, not let my teammate down. I'm just trying to do my job. Right, do my job as best I can, win the football game, and not get hurt. Now, of course, during a game, I never not think about not getting hurt. You get hurt, you get hurt. It comes comes with the territory. But you go into the game praying, like, "Hey, let me go out here and ball. Let me make sure I don't get hurt, and let's let's move let's move on to the next one." That's kind of like where your head is, right? And then whatever happens, happens. You out there and you play. Let the chips fall where they fall, and you know, get back to grinding. You know, that's just the reality of it.
0: And a lot of people don't understand too. Like the, it's only like the top like fifteen, twenty percent of the league that are making any type of real like kind of generational wealth. Like all the oh, big money you yeah. talk it's about.
1: Probably less, it's probably less than probably that. Probably less
0: honestly. than that, right? And you, yeah. and until you get to your second contract, you're not making any kind of a type of real like financial freedom. And, you know, you play your second, third, fourth year, you're getting cut and you're, you're all of a sudden literally on the streets. You maybe have a couple hundred thousand in the bank, but that, as you know, that's not enough to, to survive on, support a family on. And so it's, it's this idea that you're, you're in the NFL and you're like, you're set for life, but it's not the case at all. And you're always constantly under that pressure of performing. And they literally any day in the middle of the season, they could just release you because of some roster move. Somebody else gets hurt and they have to bring in another guy. So it's really like this performance anxiety stress that's always underlying that really like had a big impact on me. And it's, it's kind of hard to process that throughout. Cause like you said earlier in the conversation, like there's so much different variables that you have to deal with and diff- in the environment, you know, trying to fit in with the people you're competing with and being teammates. So there's just all this different stuff that really, if it's unprocessed, it's really kind of hard to navigate. What was something that you know coming towards the end of your career, you went to five different teams. Um, was it was it a decision to walk away from the game consciously, or were you kind of kind of forced out? How did that transition out of the I game kind of take place? I
1: mean, I played a, I played eleven years, dude. You yeah,
0: know, you're dude, ready. I,
1: that, that's triple the average. You know, quadruple yeah. the a, yeah, somewhere in there, three and a half times the average, right? So I didn't want to leave, but. You know, ultimately, I had a knee injury. I needed to get like microfracture surgery. I got a different surgery. It didn't really work. I just kind of knew in my gut, like this. I'm faking it right now. Like this is mm. not good enough. And they're gonna know eventually. And eventually, they did. You know what I mean? It was it was pretty clear to me. Cause so I knew I just couldn't do what I could do before. You know, mm. once you lose that burst, come on.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, what do you? You know, there's there's this there's, there's really that's it. You know, once you lose that burst, that, that's kind of it's kind of over at that point. So. You know, I think that I—I I wouldn't say I was forced out, but it wasn't like there was a bunch of teams trying to give a 34-year-old player, you know, like myself, another contract at that point. You know what I mean? Oh. So I definitely started thinking about other things. I was dabbling in real estate and things like that, and you know, eventually, uh, I think my passion, which is where I ended up now, is ended up in the human performance space. You know, I feel like I have a PhD in it because I've been living it my whole life. And I always tell people, you know, there's, there's four seats at the, pu- at the human performance table. There's the consumer, which I've been consuming this stuff since I was 15 years old. My first, since, since I got my first gym membership, you know, um, there's the athlete, which obviously, uh, I was an athlete even longer than than even before I was 15 years old. So there's, there's the consumer piece. There's the athlete piece. I'm a, I'm a certified nutritionist. I was a certified personal trainer. um, I have a deep background in nutrition and exercise science. So there's the practitioner end of it. And then I ended up going to Hopkins and doing my MBA with an emphasis in digital health, you know, one of the best schools on the planet. So, you know, I'm a technologist by by my by next level of education, you know what I mean? And so, and, and I'm a NASA technology transfer partner. And for people that don't know what that is, is that NASA and a, a number of other government labs around the country create IP and hardware that if they don't use for the space program or whatever they're... You know their their specialty is or their core competency american citizens can license in that stuff you know what i mean i was able to uh, pitch nasa there's a there's a a lab here called goddard space flight center right here in greenbelt maryland about uh, 35 minutes from my house Um, applied physics lab from hopkins is also not too far from here they had a lot more hardware not as many not as many algorithms as nasa had but i was able to basically do a partnership deal with nasa Um, my, my company, I started considering and building while I was at Hopkins doing my MBA, but, um, you know, all these, all these ideas and things and and where I ended up landing in this space all started with my passion for athletics and just being the best version of myself, self-actualization, right? My Mm -hmm. undergraduate degrees in psychology, my stepdad is a PhD in psychology. So I kind of felt like unbeknownst to me. Everything that I did up until this point and everything that I do beyond this point has something to do with helping people self-actualize, helping people understand that there are there's levers in this in this thing called the human performance space. And we all have the ability. I call it I call it the self health paradigm. We all have the ability to heal ourselves and to help others heal. And when we can't do it, then we ask for help. So I mm-hmm. think you actually need to be able to do both. You need to be able to heal yourself but you, and heal other people, but also ask for help when you know you're in over your head, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we shouldn't, we should not um there should be no negatives or downside to saying, hey, I need help, you know, whether it's addiction, compulsion, recovery, injury, it doesn't matter what it is. And I think that all these experiences that I had, all these different teammates that I had, these lessons that I learned as an athlete, my time as a practitioner helping people, you know, my 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 the 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 nerddom in in me when it comes to like AI, and machine learning, and activity trackers, like all of that has put me where I am today. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I, I wouldn't change anything. I definitely had some tough lessons along the way. There's definitely things that I did that I go, why the hell did I do that? What was I thinking? You know what I mean? And it's okay. I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay with uh with making mistakes as long as I own them and I apologize to those that. Are deserved an apology when I make a mistake? You know what I'm
0: saying? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the most successful people in the world are the people that make the most mistakes, learn from them, fail yep. fast, learn fast, right? Yeah, for growth. Fast, exactly, dude.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm really excited to, to dive into what you're working on now, and and kind of the human optimization, health piece. You know, collectively with what's going on, and getting your perspective on that because I'm really, you know, I love your passion and and really showing up in a big way to kind of scale this movement of really trying to help heal people. Um, but back to like the transition piece because I know you know it's something I'm really passionate about and you know just being an athlete and just seeing the struggles that former athletes go through you know is such strong you know discipline, mentally tough, know how to handle failure and all of these real intangibles that they learn from their career and you know there's just such an acute um, you know struggle when they leave the sport um, is there you know a reason why you think that is and is there any kind of um, you know experience shares or lessons that you know, maybe if uh, there's an athlete going through it, maybe it's a couple of years out of out of in that transition, trying to figure out what to do next. I think one of the things is is you know really purpose, deeper meaning in life. What am I showing up for, and really like transitioning out of learning how to take care of yourself in more of a holistic way, not like grinding and pushing. And so there's a bunch of different like levels of of trying to find you know, the path, but I think a lot of guys, they don't have that direction. You talked about, you know, you loved the routine and you had the discipline to fit in the routine. And so that's something that you already embodied. So it's probably pretty easy for you to kind of navigate that app. Yeah. But I yeah. think a lot of guys, they kind of need that routine and that structure and that coaching and that purpose and and working as a team for this collective vision. And all of a sudden when you're done playing, all of that stuff is over. In a, in a moment, it's really hard to prepare for. So maybe you know, share some some experiences or, or maybe some lessons that could help uh, navigate you know some of these guys that are going through this transition.
1: I think that the first thing is is that it's not just the NFL, but Major League Baseball, the NBA. There's so many um, post-retirement programs that are offered to us as professional athletes that like you know normal citizens don't get to do. Take advantage of those coaching mm. boot camps, media boot camps. You know. Um, uh, they have those job days and things like that where you can kind of like you know, try different hats on. You can do internships, things like that. I think I should absolutely do that. You should never stop learning. You know what I mean? You should always, you know, treat life like it's a new offense or a new defense. You know what I mean? Like you've got to keep sharpening your toolkit. Um, can you imagine, you know, stunting yourself at 16 or 17 And walking onto an NFL field with the skill set of a 16 or 17 year old, the mindset of a 16 or 17 year old, how long are you going to last with that? Life is the same way. You know what I mean? You can't just show up with what you were in the past, moving forward into the future and expect some good outcome. It just doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? And so for me, I'm a lifelong learner, you know. I have, you know, I won't go through the, through the litany of things, but, you know, I have a number of other credentials and things that I've done just to sharpen my tools, just because I want to learn, like I like to learn. And so I think it's really important for guys to push themselves and, and don't say, well, I wasn't a good student or I wasn't good at this. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, just do it. You know what I mean? Because the alternative is what? Sitting around, you know, what? Doing nothing, being worried. You know, the best thing you can do is just move in some direction, pick something that you think you have an interest in and go for it. Because once again, the alternative is to do nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, I just, I just, I was lucky from the standpoint that I knew that I was going to jump into the human performance space as a personal trainer and, and a co-founder of a a fitness facility in La Jolla got real lucky Had some good partners. I was able to just hit the ground running that, that really helped me. And then guess what I did? I went to the, uh, I went to the entrepreneurial uh, NFL entrepreneurial program that they do at different business schools around around the country. This ha- this particular it happened to be at Stanford at Stanford's Graduate School of Business, Stanford's GSB. And because I went there, that prompted me to want to go get my MBA. You know what I mean? And then once I got my MBA, that prompted me to go do a bunch of other things. You know what I mean? Like I just felt like I didn't know that I wanted to go back to school until I actually stepped on a campus again with by choice. You know, like I made a choice to go back on a campus. And when I did, I was like, wow, I really do miss school. I've always was a good student. But I kind of saw this the, the the chance of going back to school was another way for me to reinvent myself. And and Joe, you know this. When people want to use football analogies to explain something to me, I look at them like are you fucking serious? You're going to use a <laughs> football analogy to try to explain something to me as if I couldn't grasp it because I'm not smart. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like I, that, that really bothers me that people think they need to dumb something down. Cause they, they don't know who I am. They don't know that I, gra- I went to Hopkins and graduated top of my class. Yeah, that yeah. My dad has a PhD. They just see an athlete. They just see a dude who's a little bigger than normal. Looks like he's fit played in the league oh, well, let me, let me talk to him in simple terms. Let me make it real easy for him. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't need to do that for me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so one of, the, one of the reasons why I was so big on going back to school is because I didn't want to be Femi the athlete. I wanted to be Femi the entrepreneur. I wanted to be Femi the, the, the Hopkins graduate. I wanted to be Femi the NASA technology transfer partner. I wanted to be Femi the, the health tech founder of Health HealthReel. You know what I mean? That's what I wanted to be. And the football stuff is great. And t- I can talk about that all day long but it does not define me. It's not all that I am. And I think that a lot of us come from different backgrounds and a lot of us come, um, you know, I grew up in a housing project for a good eight years of my life. And if it was not for the fact that my mom made sure that I went to a good school, like there was the last thing she did. She made sure that I went to a good school and my brother and my sister, and I got a really good education, but I was living in a housing project. And a lot of those kids that I grew up with, uh, dude, some of them aren't here today. Some of them were better athletes than me. You know what I mean? But they didn't have the structure or the sometimes just luck, you know, just having the right people support them, the right coach, believe in them, you know, just the right opportunity. And I think that, um, sometimes when we put too much on our physical ability, we minimize or stunt our mental capability, but then people also start to do it to us because they, it's almost like we implicitly give them the right to in some way because we're not fighting for the next step or that or or maybe they don't so know no better They're, i'm getting into a really gray area here there's not one reason why people do what they do or why they analyze us the way that they do but it's not going to be because i made it okay it's not going to be because i let them do it to me you know what i mean mm-hmm. i'm going to make sure that they know that i take all this stuff seriously and that it doesn't matter what the job is if i wanted to be good at it i could have been you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that as former players, we need to remember that our power is still in us. And when we're 30 and we're done with the league, that's just one life. We're cats, dude. We got like nine of them. Let's go. Nope. You know what I mean? Like you're not done yet. It's, your, it's just the beginning of the next thing. i probably reinvented myself three or four times, dude. Yeah. And I think it's because I'm, I wasn't limited by what people put on me. I let my imagination run wild about all the things that I could do. And I think that's a really important part in the transition. If you think small, you'll be small. If you think big, you might go out on a blaze of glory, but guess what? You're going to learn from that and you're going to do something that you're going to find your way one way or another. And you might make some mistakes, but you'll be all right though. And it's in your hands. It's in your power. And I think that's really important when it comes to transitioning.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You got to keep moving. I think just not being defined by the thing that you, you know, were doing for so long and it's, it's hard, right? Like guys do it their entire lives are focused on this one thing and it's hard to re- define themselves and figure out something else. But one thing that was really powerful for me in my inner journey is, is really reflecting back and realizing like I accomplished one of the most challenging things to do statistically in the world, like play in the NFL, played for eight years and realizing like, holy shit, everything I've ever put my mind to, I've accomplished. And that's a really powerful knowing deep within myself. And you kind of have to have the humility to kind of almost start over, not from a place of like the the ability to do it and the mindset to do it, but just, you know, learning and having that beginner's mind and like, how fast can I learn? And in my theory, three years since I've done, like getting into my entrepreneurial journey and everything, I've learned so much because every single person I talk to, I'm not afraid to ask the dumb questions and not look stupid because I just don't know. And then as I ask questions and learn and try and fail, that, that growth is exponential. And I truly believe deep within my heart that I can accomplish anything I put my mind to. I, I believe anybody can. And the only thing keeping us from that is the stories and the limiting beliefs keeping us from accomplishing that. And that's really what this healing journey is about. Right. It's not just, you know, I, am obviously in the transitional space, trying to create community and facilitate deeper healing for these guys. And, you know, talking about the resources that the NFL and I'm sure the other major sports leagues put together, they're, they're, there's a lot of opportunity to, to learn, to find career placements, but a lot of it's very kind of superficial, like, Hey, what, what can I do next? Um, I think it's really powerful to have the, the opportunity with all these resources but it is kind of scattered. I've I've noticed there's like five or six different organizations that offer uh, different experiences and lessons. And so it's really hard to kind of navigate and figure out like, where are my resources and everything you kind of have to really show up for that, but there's nothing really facilitating that, that deeper healing experience to really heal the lessons and even physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually from the game um, and transitioning into redefining yourself. And I think it does take, a lot, right? You have to break down. It's almost like this ego death. Like You have to go through this death of an old self in order to retell yourself a story and build yourself back up. And that that transition is very important to properly grieve and honor this past life so that you can learn and grow and start fresh and really start to build yourself back up. But I think a lot of people have real struggle of letting go of that identity, right? That's a big piece is like this thing has defined me for so long and I can let it go. It's okay. Impermanence is a huge part of living life. It's the only absolute truth. So how can I let this go and really focus on what's, what's my heart calling me to do now? How can I show up and be of service? And you know, that's what I love what you're doing. Like you're so passionate and you're using all these tools that you've developed all the lessons from not only your sports career, but your education and everything. And you're putting into this, this real vision to scale and support you know the collective to really try and do this deeper healing like you talked about you want to explain a little bit about the passion of of what it takes to you know heal the body not just physically but mentally emotionally and spiritually collectively
1: yeah everything you're saying is so is so smart dude and obviously you've put yourself to the grindstone because there's a there's an awareness that you have that that is pretty rare in former athletes dude let's just be real about it Mm -hmm. um and it's not that we don't have it in us, but for whatever reason, we're not pushing it out of ourselves or somebody's somebody's not helping pull it out of us. But we both know that once you leave the game, it's kind of going to be on you. Like You can have some great people around you, but you've got to want to like you mentioned some of these programs, um, you know, you're going to have to do some digging. You know, you're going to have to do some 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 mental and emotional digging. You're going to have to do some literal physical digging, like going to different places and trying things on. Um, and. We already know that once you leave the NFL, dude, nothing's going to be handed to you. You know that, Mm -hmm. you know, so the sooner you accept that nothing's going to be handed to you, the sooner you can start to kind of take the reins and really start to take uh, a brand new kind of ownership view of your future. And if you think about the future, it's, it's, you know, as human beings, we have the ability to you know, live longer than we've ever lived if we're willing to put the work in, right? Like life expectancy, life quality, best it's ever been, right? You know, um, we have the chance to really um, not, not think of things in the way that we think of our, our athletic careers, but think of it more the way that traditional people in a space think of their careers, like a doctor or an attorney, 50 years, you know, 40 mm-hmm. years, right? We still can have that. And I think sometimes we give up and think, Oh, I can't have that because I'm yeah, 30. Now. Life's no, over. You still, yeah. You can still just have started, that man. Like, well, stopping you. Yeah. You got plenty. You can go be, you can go have, get a PhD, become a professor. There's still so much you can do. You can become a, a counselor, a therapist, you know, whatever you, you can still do all of it. Forget that you're 30, pretend that you're 20, you mm-hmm. know, who cares? Right. Cause just the way that humans are living now that we, we just have a lot more meat on the bone than we've ever had before. Just to put that to bed. Um, I think that um oh there was a question that you asked me that I was yeah. totally well yeah let's get into like facilitating oh, yeah. oh, the yeah, healing yeah, 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 life yeah. expenses. Yeah, yeah. I remember what it was now. It was more specifically about um my my company, but kind of why I landed where I landed and and why it's important. So um the whole idea behind health Real is the idea that um Our health is a combination of our mental, emotional and physical health, our mental health in regard to lucidity, clarity, thoughtfulness, depression, anxiety, stress, purpose. Right. Um, Physically, you know, gut health, um, pain, um, body composition, obesity, type two diabetes. Right. All these things are manifestations of how we are taking care of ourselves, right? And so what I try to get people to understand is that there's four levers of health. And the first is survival and survival events. To do anything, you've got to survive it first. And survival events are big. They're small, they're literal, they're figurative, they're completely subjective. And it's completely up to you to decide what a survival event is. It's not for me to to listen and tell you what it is. It's for you to decide. Because you live in your body and the way that you interpret stimuli and and events, how they affect you is what matters. Not how I think they affect you, but how they literally affect you. Mm -hmm. So when you think about survival, there's five steps in survival. Survive, assess, learn, deploy, and then teach, right? And you talked about this in the very beginning of, of, of the podcast is that there are so many people that you're learning from but you're you're also sharing as to spare people future pain and future survival events and future trauma mm. and so in the kind of survive assess component there's this acronym i call it proof and this this it's a six letter acronym because there's three o's in proof and that revolves around trauma trauma is one of the most important things that we deal with as humans and um So the first, the P in proof is positive trauma. Like the things that are push you to grow, to be better. That's actually what we need that. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? The Mm -hmm. the R is random trauma, like an earthquake, a car crash. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Being caught in the middle of some crazy event that is life-threatening that you, the one targeted you, you just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. So random trauma. Uh, O is occupational trauma the places and things that we end up in because of work, war fighters, soldiers, cops, teachers, doctors, right? Their their job brings trauma into their life. The other O is the trauma we cause ourselves, self-inflicted wounds. Uh, The third O is the trauma we cause others, right? We're not free of causing trauma for other people as well, right? We need to take ownership of that. And then the F is kind of like familiar, familial, People in your life, which is where most trauma comes from, is the people that are close to us. Mm -hmm. Are are these people that are causing trauma for you, are they making your life better, easier, and harmonious? Are they making your life more difficult, harder, and toxic? You know what I mean? We need to be really honest when we're assessing trauma, where we're responsible for it, and how we can minimize trauma, right? Because trauma will stunt you. It'll do a lot of things to you, right? So, that's kind of like the, the summary of the first lever. The second lever is information quality. And all you have to do is look around the globe right now at all the conspiracy theories that are driving us to make stupid ass decisions as humans. I'll just leave it at that. We I can, we can, I can give you three right now, but we won't do that right now because I don't want anyone <laughs> to, to lose sight of the big picture here by bringing up a conspiracy theory that they actually believe in because that's a whole nother rabbit hole. So information quality is huge. Who we get information from the sources we get information from, how we internalize that information and use it to either make our lives better or self-inflicted wounds and make our life more difficult, right? That's, yeah. that's the second thing. The third- what
0: are, some, what are some quick things with that as far as like content consumption and, and really helping people navigate maybe some some wisdom on how to be, you know decipher what is true, what's Facebook, not? It's, true. it's so challenging.
1: book is not a science-driven platform. If you tell me you're getting your information on how to live your life from Facebook, then I'm going to tell you that you're a fucking idiot.
0: Yeah. You don't understand. I'm not even going to play. I'm not even going to
1: mince words, bro. I'm going to tell you straight up. You're doing what? Because of what? Because some person that told you that this thing does this to you. So you believe them. They're not the CDC. They're not an, a, a political science organization. They're not Stanford. They're not Harvard. They're damn sure not Johns Hopkins. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So why are you making life decisions based on shit on Facebook? or Instagram or Twitter. Those Mm -hmm. platforms are called social media, not science media, not let me live my life better media. You know what I mean? Let me Uh make smart decisions about my health media. They're called social media. So many people go to social media to air their grievances, right? That is not how you make smart life decisions based on social media. That's, that's the first thing I can say. Um, and in regard to, um, kind of what I, the compliment that I think is really big that I pay you is your self-awareness, but there's, there's levels to self-awareness. Mm-hmm. There are, there are, as, as kids are very naive, we're unaware, right? Then we become self-aware. Then hopefully the next step is we become selfless because self-awareness plus selflessness equals self-actualization. Mm-hmm. It's understanding the symbiotic relationship between you and the people in your life from the person at Starbucks is serving you your coffee to your wife or your girlfriend or your kids. All these relationships matter because when you go to Starbucks to order a coffee, you're there to pay for a service. They're there to give you a coffee. And just because you don't know them doesn't mean they should get treated in some negative way. Right. You should always be polite to everybody. That's just what you put out into the universe always comes back to you. Right. Nope. And of course the people that you're close with, I mean, you almost have a unspoken agreement with these people that I won't do anything to hurt you. And I'm going to make you try. I'm going to lift you to be the best version of yourself and lift me to be the best version of myself. Anything less than that is unacceptable. And so many of us are in these toxic relationships with people. If, If you're there to push me, maybe you're making my life harder, but you're making me better. I can live with that. Parents, older siblings, mentors, they're there to push you and make your life harder. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy, but they're serving a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think as we get older and we understand that, and once again, it's not an accident that it goes survival, information, self-awareness. Like There's a reason it's that order because that's the order that you come into the world in. You come into the world trying to survive. Mm-hmm. It's the most basic human instinct. You know what I mean? And so when I wrote, and by the way, this is my own curriculum. I wrote this whole thing myself. I have 200,000 unedited words, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And this is the foundation of my platform. I didn't start it with nutrition. I didn't start it with exercising. I didn't start it with supplementation and sleep hygiene. I started it with survival Mm -hmm. because that's how we come into the world, right? So, you know, we have survival, survival events and trauma. We have information, we have awareness. And then the last one is the one that people expect me to start with, which is traditional health performance metrics, which is the sleep exercise, nutrition, support, sleep hygiene, which is what we all kind of talk about every day when we talk about health. But what you don't realize is if this isn't right, this is never going to be right. Mm -hmm. And which leads to like gut health and obesity and type two diabetes. People need to have their minds right. And people need to understand that their mind drives everything. Their emotions and their mind together drive their body, not the other way around. You have all these Instagram models and don't get me wrong, bro. If you go on my Instagram page, yeah, am I? you're going to see the real me. You're going to see me drinking. You're going to see me flexing. You're going to see my kids. You're going to see me cooking. You're going to see the real me. There's no bullshit. There's no filter per se. You're going to see the real me, all of me. Some of it's vain, but some of it's very profound too. But that's who I really am though. I'm this mix of things, right? So when I talk about self-health, I talk about all of it because it all fits together. There's no corners to hide in. There's no cracks and crevices to hide in. Either you're being authentic or you're not. You're either, either you understand the difficulties of life and you're willing to ask for help, get help, give help, or you're just going to continue to struggle. You know, and I know I didn't mean to go down a rabbit hole, bro, but as you can tell, I I get really passionate about
0: this. No, I love it, man. And yeah, I think, you know, I love how you said it starts with the mind, not the body, because the mind and the habits and the, and the discipline and the limiting beliefs and everything that you believe is really going to affect how you feel your body and the belief system around that. And you need your physical body to be in good shape and feeling good in order to ac- access higher levels of awareness. So it is all connected. So how it's do, all yeah. So how, how, like talking about the healing journey, maybe people are, cause cause there's, you know, it's obviously look out in the statistics, like 44% of our population is obese. Like we're, we're no, it's a, higher than
1: that. Higher <laughs> net. So it's talk higher about than
0: how, that. how, how you and how do we shift this collective narrative when it seems like we're just kind of going and running off a cliff.
1: Yeah. So when we look at it from, The macro perspective, yeah, it's not very pretty because, you know, 75% of Americans are overweight or obese. And that's, this is a global, the real global pandemic is not COVID, it's obesity. Almost everything that affects us negatively from a physical standpoint and as a healthcare cost input starts with obesity. But the, the, the deeper layer is mental health. You know what I mean? Depression, anxiety, and stress lead to obesity. Obesity, anxiety, and depression. Um, sorry. Anxiety, depression, anxiety, and stress lead to obesity. Obesity leads to depression, anxiety, and stress, right? So, where exactly do you enter this cascading effect of, yeah. of health problems, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I say we enter it here. I say before you worry about how many steps you took today or before you even worry about how many calories you ate or how much weight you need to lose, let's get your heart and your head, right. You know, let's, let's, let's identify where some trauma might've occurred or some problems might've occurred that you're kind of um, maybe in a loop on and you can't seem to onboard uh, off board it or, or exit it. You know, it's just constantly coming up. And a lot of times we don't know, until we start having real granular conversations about the decisions we make and why we make them. We, I call it autopiloting. We autopilot so much, you know, um, that we almost, you know, I do Bikram yoga every day. I, I love to meditate. And when I'm in that classroom for 90 minutes and people, some people hate hot yoga, don't get caught up in the hot yoga part. Just get caught up in the yoga meditation part. Mm. Um, you know, the heat, I just love to sweat and I love the heat. That's just a, that's just a Femi thing. But, when i'm in that room my mind is you uni- know like it's universal bro like i my mind goes to so many places that if i didn't have that 90 minutes every day to think through my shit think think through my stress think about my kids think about my job think about my mom my brother my my nieces and nephews and like all the people that i'm close with like that 90 minutes i feel so lucky to have cuz some people don't even give themselves 1 minute a day to process anything i know you do but most people don't. How are you going to have any sense of direction, compass, true north if you never sit back and reflect on, hmm, did I do that right? What's what's the, why did I snap at my girlfriend today? Is it her or is it me? Is there something that, that about what's going on? Okay, let me let me let me let me work my way through this. I get a chance to do that every day, and I feel so lucky that I'm able to do that. And I think that my desire to self actualize and to be, you know. Um, optimized doesn't mean I'm perfect, right? It just means that I know when I'm fucking up. <laughs> it just means that I know when to say sorry. It just means that I know that I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going to own them and I'm going to try to do better, mm-hmm. right? The The goal here is to chase perfection, but you're never going to get it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you're never going to get it and that's okay. You don't need to be perfect because no human is right. Mm-hmm. But it's the journey and the attempt where I think all the good stuff happens. The idea that I want to try really hard. And, um, I personally don't know any other way to do it than other than full speed. That's just who I am. Mm. You know what I mean? And mm. I know that everybody doesn't need to do it like me. They can have their own version of full speed. The Joe Hawley version of full speed might look totally different, but it's yours and it works for you and it's healthy. That's what's important.
0: Yeah. it's Beautiful. Know thyself, right? And really start understanding. Know thyself,
1: right? So that's yeah. the self-awareness piece I talk about. Self, self-awareness plus selflessness, which is know thyself. That's self-actualization, bro.
0: Yeah, I love it. I couldn't say it better. So where where can people start? Like, let's say, because like I love the the sleepwalking thing and the the psychology of it, like I mean, 95% of us is unconscious, right? And so if we're just going through and just our habits and our triggers and we're not actually fully understanding that we're the ones showing up. Like if someone triggers us, it's not their fault, right? It's that inward journey of why am I feeling triggered in this event? And that's the the self-awareness. And when you have that, it's going to bring up some shit, but it's, it's taking ownership of your own life and becoming the creator of your reality, not the victim of your circumstance. And I think that's a big piece of, of kind of waking up is, is understanding like I am responsible for what I'm creating. And if I'm creating this really shitty experience, although there's some stuff outside of my experience, it's how I respond and I have agency over that. So where can people, if they're listening to this and they're kind of feeling like, oh shit, maybe there is some things in my life that aren't really fit, but I don't really know where to go. Where can they start
1: yeah. So, um, I think that there's a couple of things they can do and some of it I'm going to say, cause it's self-serving for health real, but let me, let me not go there first. Let me just go <laughs> to like the general question. Um, I love reading. I love, you know, looking up things on self-care and self-health. I think that's where we can all first start. Right.
0: You have one book and, that just comes to mind. That's like been so powerful for you. You
1: know what? I, I don't have one book per se, but, um, I'm a big fan of Maslow. You know, Maslow is one of the most profound psychologists in human history. His, his, uh, his hierarchy of needs, um, it, it, he didn't come up with the pyramid, but someone put his thought process into a pyramid kind of starting with basic functionality and then leading all the way up to self-actualization, right? Like you need shelter, clothing, food, right? I mean, that's exactly way-
0: kind of what you're curriculum is built off of. Yeah,
1: it it, it is. It is. It's the foundation of it. And what I try to tell people is a lot of the stuff that I have written about is I've pulled from different things from people that I find inspirational and brilliant. And I've just kind of amalgamated it in a way mm-hmm. that is I can call it mine because those guys weren't talking about the stuff that I talk about. Although sure. I am talking about what they talk about, those men and women that were the pioneers. That's
0: what evolution's all about, industry. right? Standing on the shoulders of the giants.
1: Exactly what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm building on top of them, and I give those people credit when it comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that also, um, if you really want to, um, just get a taste for what self health is through Health Real. You can literally go to my website, healthreal.com, and it's R-E-E-L, because we actually use a video to do a body composition assessment. Yeah, we have AI, machine learning, it's pretty, it's pretty dope what we can do. People, a lot of people are like, like, is this real? I'm like, yeah, it's real. Like everything we're doing here is, is really it's, it's 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 based on uh, validated hardware and things that really exist. We just made it as simple as possible so we can make the most impact with the uh, I guess you could say. The the biggest bang for your buck with the least amount of work is what I is how I look at it. You know, mm. and so this assault, this health assessment, we're actually about to push. And this is all free. This is in beta right now. We're not charging anybody anything until the end of the year. Um, one of the cool things that we'll do is we'll actually do um, a depression, anxiety, and stress scoring test for you. We'll tell you where you fall in. You know, normal, mild, severe. You know, and we'll say, hey, once again, we don't have any therapists or coaches online yet but we will in the future, but we basically tell people like, look, if you score this, you need to go talk to somebody, but guess what? The alternative is they don't do it and they never even know that they need help. So Mm -hmm. in my opinion, you know, that phrase, don't let, you know, don't let great be the enemy of good. What we're doing right now with our beta for free, is pretty damn good. So that's a good way to kind of get some baseline mental and emotional uh, health assessment scoring done. And then within that too, we'll do a full body comp. You know, we'll, we'll give you some recommendations on body fat percentage, ideal, healthy body weight, We'll talk about a nutrition split, macronutrients, things like that, caloric intake, all fairly scientifically driven from the standpoint that like we're diet agnostic. Like I don't, I don't push a diet on people. I don't tell you to be a vegan or a vegetarian or a flexible eater or a keto dieter. I don't, I don't talk about any of that. All I basically say is, is that this is what your health is today. This is how prepared you are. This is your scoring on the mental, emotional piece. These are the number of calories a day that you should be eating. These are the number of grams of protein, carbohydrate and fat that you should be eating. Um, And boom, you know, take it and run with it, share it with people, do what you want with it. Right now, it's it's, it's out there for, for anybody to use it however they want. In the future now, we will have coaches, we'll have better guidance, we'll actually be doing more than that. But because, you know, I'm building a company, right? I can't be everything to everyone just yet because I'm mm-hmm. you know, spending my own money, right? And yeah. I have some investors and things like that too. But, you know, there's a there's a process to this. But if people just really want to get like a really cool kind of understanding of what I'm talking about, all the things I mentioned about these four levers of health, they're the foundation of my platform. They really are, you know, um, and as I build the platform out more, we'll be more engaged. We'll be a lot more um, thoughtful in how we share information because sometimes people have never heard this stuff before be pretty powerful when, when someone, you know, tells you something that you didn't know about yourself or that, Hey, you know, your, your overall health score is a 68. You need to be like an 85 or higher. You know what I mean? And, um, I think that, you know, us as athletes, right? Like, you know, whether it's bod pod or skin caliper texting or, or DEXA scans or whatever, you know, we, we've, we've kind of gone through all this stuff and we've, we've seen it before, but as we further, you know, as we evolve and we put technology at the fingertips of everybody, right. It's also we also have to be mindful about, about how powerful that information is. You know what I mean. So I want to make sure that I I'm I'm founding health company on good I mean a uh, health reel as a health technology company on good intent, and that I'm not doing it perfectly yet. But I don't have a no one blazed the trail before me for me to follow. Like I you know what I mean. I'm figuring it out as I go.
0: You're paying, the the respons- baby.
1: Yeah, and I and I and I understand the responsibility that comes with that. And so a lot of times when I have people. Let me give you. Let let me. Let me use this example. If you're an expert at something, and I tell you something about your job and your business, and you're the expert, but I'm telling you and I don't know shit, how are you going to feel?
0: Yeah, pretty. I'm going
1: to be like, what, dude? Offended. I do. This is what I do. Now, if I come into your job talking shit, you're not going to be too happy about that. Well, guess what? That's what you're doing to me. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And by the way, I'm here to try to help you. You know what I mean? So, you know, I think sometimes we get into these interesting discussions. Because we have so much technology at our fingertips now. We have so much information at our fingertips now. And to be honest, man, a lot of us aren't ready for it. We don't, we don't use it right. Instead of instead of being good scientists and 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 being creative and trying to learn, you know, we become conspiracy theorists and mythologists. I can't compete with mythology. I, I just can't, you know. There's no way to beat mythology. There's no way for me to beat Zeus. I can't beat Zeus. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can, I can, I can beat that burger over there. I could probably beat, you know, the fact that you're on the couch all day, I could beat that. But some of this stuff I can't compete with, you know what I mean? And I think the problem right now, and the reason why um, information quality is the second lever in this self-help curriculum that I've been writing is because information has the power to motivate you, demotivate you, scare you, or make you lose your mind. It really does. And that's why it's the most important lever other than than survival. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So
0: yeah, I love it. You have to have the desire to want to be better. I mean, that's where it all starts or else you're just going to kind of be floating in the wind. Um, man, I really appreciate your your wisdom and your passion and the work that you're doing. Uh, where can people find you? You said healthreel.com to check out what you're working on. Anything else?
1: Yeah. yeah Instagram at uh, obafemi30, O-B-A-F-E-M-I 30. Um, Instagram is definitely like my social media platform of choice. As I said, you're going to see the real me on there, man. You're going to see me drinking tequila. You're going to see me tr- drinking champagne. You're going to see me with my kids. You're going to see me eating, cooking out and about. Like I don't give you a sliver of, it. I give it, I give all of it or I don't give any of it. It's just, I just, the way I believe in being is in, and, and to be honest, man, you know, what's crazy is that, um, I do a lot of mentoring. You know, I do a lot of talking to kids. Um, I talk to graduate students here at Hopkins. I talk to athletes. Um, and every once in a while I'll have a coach try to check me and say, Hey, I saw your Instagram post. Like, you have kids watching you. I go, is that any different than what you do at home? Mm-hmm. Your kids see you drink at home, right? Your kids see you, you know, maybe lose your mind when somebody's, you know, runs a red light or, you know, I'm human, dude. Like I'm going to be human. I'm not going to give you some false sense of things that I, I, I do all of this stuff, but I do it responsibly. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: I think that's and a big think, problem with like our, our youth is we try to protect them from the real world rather exactly. than like educating them and showing them how to hey, be responsible adults
1: show them how to be responsible by just being real and authentic. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important truth. thing. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like I said, like I, I prefer Instagram because it's, it's a snapshot, you know, we're not going to get into some big ass argument. Like we went on Facebook and, you know, yes, Twitter fuck. wars Facebook and all that, sucks. all that crazy. Yeah. So that's why it's my, it's my, it's my platform of choice. Maybe even one of these days I'll, I'll get on TikTok. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I might maybe, maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll hop on there to get to some of the
0: evolution of semi. Yeah. Locked right. <laughs> I love it, dude. Any last imparting words of wisdom for the listeners? Any practical tips, anything they can take away to really help them become better versions of themselves?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think, um, it's really important that, um, you never give up, right? You never, it's never too late to, to learn something. It's never too late to start all over again. It's never too late to pivot. You know, I think that, um, fear, can be paralyzing. And the uncertainty that comes with fear can even be more paralyzing. And sometimes the best thing you can do, even if you're not sure, just do something. Don't sit around waiting. Don't, don't worry about whether it's perfect or it's right. If your intention is good and you really like, give it a shot and give it a go, good things will happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for for taking the time, man, and sharing your wisdom and your passion and showing up in this big way. Uh, It's really, really impactful. It had impact on me. I hope anybody that listened got something out of this. Uh, If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a five-star review. It would be a huge asset in helping me grow the audience. And if something in this podcast resonated with you, I'm sure it did because it definitely had a profound impact on me. Go ahead and share it with somebody that you love. Thanks, Femi. I appreciate it, man.
1: Thanks, Jeff.